You are listening to Galgo FM, a voice for the Galgo. My name is Christoph Richter and I will be speaking to people that take a stand against hunting with dogs in Spain. Hello and thanks for tuning in. Welcome to episode number three. In October 2021, big things happened to me. I traveled to Seville, Spain to volunteer for one week at Fundación Benjamin Menat, FBM. And of course, it was clear that this journey will end up in the podcast episode of my German podcast, Jaspers Abenteuer. I had my recorder with me, did an audio diary and recorded over 10 hours of original material. The sound of FBM. Before my travel, I had in mind to do some interviews with the staff in English for this podcast here. But being there made clear that only a handful of staff is speaking English a bit and also time is very precious. So I decided better to help out and being there for the dogs instead of wasting time for talking. Not to be mistaken, I'd like to talk with the staff and we talked a lot off record. But to bind them for an hour or more to do an interview and keeping them off from doing their important work didn't feel right, so I let this idea go. Nevertheless, this journey got its English podcast episode two. So episode number three is a supplement to the double feature episode number 16 and 17 of my German podcast. Back home, I saw a comment down below a Facebook post I made for a Galgo at the medical ward. It was Travis Paternote that left this comment. Travis is known for his outstanding photography work he does for raising awareness for the plight of the Galgos. Travis wrote that he was looking forward to see all the dogs in a couple of days. So I realized that he will be at FBM just some days after our travel ended. I thought it could be interesting to talk with Travis about his travel and what he experienced at FBM, knowing that we saw nearly the same dogs. So I asked him whether he would talk to me for a podcast episode. He said yes. And here we are. It's November 13th, 2021. I'm talking with Travis Paternote. And Travis, it's a pleasure for having you for a talk. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me and very much look forward to talking with you. Yeah, thanks. This October, I was the first time at FBM at Fundación Benjamin Menard in Seville, in Spain. And it was overwhelming. After coming back home, I realized you left a comment below a post I made for a Galgo named Brad. He's recovering in FBM's hospital. And I read your name and a bell was ringing because I know the photographer that is taking such beautiful and impressive pictures of the Galgos and not only of, but for the Galgos to bring their fate to light and, and raise awareness about their plight. The free time photographer in me was like, Travis was there too? Okay, let's hide my photos in the box and don't touch them anymore. <laughs> you do wonderful work and impressive work for the Galgos. Thank you for that at first. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. I uh, remember that you were featured in an episode in the Yo Galgo podcast with Yerai. And I listened to that episode and learned things about you that astonished me. You told Yerai about depression you were in and how you adopted your first Galgo. There was a context with suicidal tendencies that left me speechless. Can you or will you tell me about something, that episode in your life? Yeah, with that, it's something I have always dealt with and still continue to deal with. And it's something that, you know, it's 
never going to change. I've just learned to change my mindset that I've learned what it is and how to deal with it better. And that was one of the big things I've learned after adopting a first Calgo Lena. At that time in 2012, I was working in the garage and without really knowing what was going on, my mind just kind of went off to its own place, which it does tend to do. And before I realized it, I heard a loud bang and before I knew it, I'm standing on a stool with a rope in front of me. So it's times like that where it's just kind of realized what was going on. And for me, it was a very, trying to think of the best way to put it, eye-opening, but also made me realize of, you know, how my mind was actively plotting against me in a sense. So from that, it taught me how to catch those things and change that story that's going in my head or the view of that. And with that is when we adopted Lena, actually two weeks after that, when we first went to adopt a Galgo, we were told it was going to be a year wait. So we put in the application and said, we'll wait. But as the universe, I found, gives you the things you need when you need it. And before we realized, two weeks later, we had a Galgo in our house. A very scared uh, Galgo who was rescued by SOS Galgos in Barcelona. And from that, I focused so much on her, trying to help her adjust to a new life. And her story was she was rescued from a Galgalera who was planning to hang her. So that irony was not lost on me at all. So I spent my time working with her, getting her to trust me, my wife, and be happy in our home. And for that time, I had no depression because my mind was focused on her. And with that, I've just learned to control that a lot better. So fortunately, time, the depression still kicks in. And when I do catch that, I know how to kind of change that now, which has been a life-saving thing for me. Lena isn't still with you, right? No, unfortunately, she passed away in April of 2015. Yeah. She was with us for about three years, and she passed away due to cancer, that she had bone cancer on her pelvis. Okay, yeah. I'm wondering if this experiences make you learn how to deal with your depression in the future. So you learned how you can get out of it or not even get too deep into a depression by knowing what to do now. Is it right? Right. A lot of it, it's been, as they always say, an idle mind is devil's playground. So it's the mm. same thing. If I find myself not doing anything or just kind of being lazy, sitting, mind just wandering, that's where it tends to drift off to. So having the photography, you know, always gives me something to do. You know, being able to kind of explore more of the story of the Galgos always gives me something more to do. But most importantly, it's given Lena has really shown me more of the empathy side of being able to look into things much deeper and see the other side of things a lot better. And with that, I explore more of the feelings and the situation's a little better to try to understand what's going on and why that's happening. And that's been one of the big parts for me that has helped. 
and it's actually helped a lot with relationships, work, and other things that I'm able to kind of dive deeper into what is actually happening, what that situation is, why that situation came up, and how we could try to fix those things. So with that, that's the same with my depression is when I find myself getting into those states, I kind of look further into, okay, what is changed? What is different? And, you know, what do I need to do to get back to that state or get past that? And that's what's been so extremely helpful. Yeah. So it helped you to step out a little bit of your inner view or only inner view and you get a perspective that is wider. Right. Yeah. That's usually one of the harder things to do is be able to truly step out of your own body and look at the full mm -hmm. picture of everything. It's helped me quite a bit. It's also, you know, allowed me to express myself a lot more because of that. Yeah, that's great. What I read about you and what I heard in Jerai's podcast is, I'm not sure if I understand it correctly, but you started with photography by adopting your first Galgo, is it right? I actually started photography because of Lena. Yeah. After we adapted Lena and learned more about the situation, my wife and I started our own adoption group called Love, Hope, Believe Galgo Adoption. Mm -hmm. And a lot of adoption groups face the same things of, okay, now that we've got dogs we need to adopt, we need to get pictures of them so we could get them adopted. Started doing pictures, I had, you know, basic cell phone pictures or a point-and-shoot camera. They were decent, but, you know, it was lacking. It was just a picture of a dog, basically. So I was lucky enough to have a person from uh, hertzspeak.org, which is a group of professional photographers that donate their time and skills to adoption and shelters to take photos of their dogs and to teach their staff how to do photos. So we're fortunate enough to have one of them come to our house and take photos of our dogs and the fosters. And after looking at those photos, I realized I really need to sit down and learn how to take better photos. And from that, I fell deeper into the storytelling of the image. I have uh, one image that I took when I was in Numencia, Spain, of a black galgo that was just dropped off by his galgolero and very scared, very scared up, and I was sitting with my point-and-shoot camera, looking away, just had the camera sitting on my foot. Mm -hmm. And the picture I took, you know, as I showed people, I saw their reaction to it, that I could tell they could feel what that dog was feeling. I was feeling mm -hmm. the same thing. And that's when I realized I could possibly tell the story of the dogs through photography. And what I loved about it is the fact that there was no language barrier through the picture. If I were to write, then you always have the language barrier, but through photos, there is no language barrier at all with that. And that's where I started falling in love with it and continued to learn as much as I could about it. That's a great point. And it describes very good how I feel or what I was thinking when I saw your photos at the first time. Watching your photos is very inspiring to me. And it gives me another kick to sit down and learn. And that's great. And that's the same thing I've gone through from when I started is I see other people's photos and I just look yeah. at it. It's like, 
and even now I look at other people's photos and it's like I'm amazed by what they're able to capture and see and that's what I love about photography is you could have five people shooting the exact same subject but you get five completely different images absolutely everyone sees something very differently and that's what I love about it it's a photo of something but in a sense it's still a piece of that photographer of what they're seeing and their view their past lives and everything it's all tied into that one little picture yeah and that's the special about your photos I think you are able to transport emotions it's not only a beautiful picture or a good captured moment but it's the emotions as you say before um, you watch the people's reactions if they see your photos and they understand completely how the dog is feeling and that is the most difficult I think to get in a picture but I see it's speaking out of your pictures and that's great that's a big inspiration to me and that's the one thing as I explained earlier is with the empathy is I've learn to see that and see people's faces and understand the situation that's going on is like in those photos i have a picture of uh etha who's about to put bruno onto the transport and i yeah. could tell you know how she was feeling on that and that's a moment i wanted to capture because that told the whole story of the rescue you know this is the very final part of the rescue is getting them to the forever home and that is the hardest for the rescuers because they've put so much time and sacrificed so much of their own to save this dog and now they're handing it off to go to the last part so it's it's a melancholy moment but yeah. it's those are the moments i try to watch for and luckily i always tend to be a wallflower so i always tend to be i always joke that i'll turn on my cloaking device so i become invisible that's where I could just kind of hide and just catch people in these moments where they don't see me, but I'm able to see them and that full situation. This situation you described is a very special situation for me too, because yes, I know Asa and Bruno got his new home because of a Facebook post that I made. Oh, that's beautiful. You know Marina Scheinhardt from Austria? Yeah. Marina told us, please make a video of Bruno because she didn't wanted him to stay at FBM during the winter time. So it was the time that we were there and I shot a video and make a description of Bruno and tell the people how lovely this boy is <laughs> <laughs> and put it on Facebook. And the post is very often been shared. And there was exactly one question for adoption. And this is uh, yeah, the lucky punch because he is now with Denise in Germany and have a wonderful home. And you captured the moment Asa is giving him in another hands in his forever home. And I know Asa felt in love with Bruno. And that's... The one thing I've always tried to explain to our adopters when we adopt dogs and bring them over is the rescuers, they sacrifice so much and deal with the dogs so much there and then they hand them off to, in a sense, never see them again. So 
I always make it a very big point for adopters to share those photos, tag the FBM so they can see that. And this way, they know what they're doing is worthwhile. And they see that impact that they've made for that dog. And that's, for me, always very important. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I've learned going forward with the photography is, you know, when you go in to do a photo, you have to have a purpose for that photo. Otherwise, it just becomes a snapshot. So when you go into things, you have to decide what you want these photos to say. What is the story of these photos? And with that, going in for those photos for that transport was I wanted to show that connection between the staff and these dogs that were rescued. So I wanted to make sure I showed those connections. They're not just a dog in a kennel, but they are very much loved, cared for, and they are doing their very best for these dogs. So that's what I really wanted to show. Just before we have our talk, I read your article on your site and saw the photos we are now speaking about. And yeah, what shall I say? I started crying. Because it's special for me. I know now the people you are showing and the dogs. And yeah, I'm just right in the situation. And that's the side of it too. It's, you know, for a lot of us, we've been from a distance seeing a lot of these stories of the dogs like Colossus, Brad, Khaleesi, and Sky, who I've listed in my post about those. But, you know, some of it is being able to see them and touch them and know what those personalities are and also still see a little bit, some of that fear in them and try to show that, that, you know, yes, physically they look fine, but mentally they're still so much work that needs to be done for them and care that needs to be taken care of for them that's trying to convey those things and show that and that's uh one of the other big things after adopting lena and with our adoption group we work with a, a group of behavioralists and for dogs and that was probably one of the biggest things for me is learning how to read body language and see a lot of that and be able to communicate with them and that for me has helped me immensely with the photography too because if i could understand what they're saying i could convey that much more in the photos yeah absolutely to read or to be able to read the body language of the dogs helps also by volunteering fbm because you you have to go in the kennels and you have to clean up and there are many dogs that are scared or barking at you and It's very helpful to be able to read the body language so you can say the situation is okay, you are going in, or no, step better back. You see a dog that is cowering in the corner, it's not best to go up and try to hug it and pet it because yeah. that is pretty much still, as Alberto put it, is they don't see us as their savior. They still yeah. see us as their captor. Yeah. So yeah. it's knowing to just ignore the dog, do your thing and leave it. And in time, the dog will become more accustomed and used to people. But, you know, give that dog that space. And it's reading all of that and fighting all my urges to not go over and try to comfort the dog. And that's probably the hardest thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So 
that was much about photography, but I'm very interested in another question. You are living in the US and Galgos are resident in Europe. How came the Galgos into your life? Uh, my wife and I were working with a American Greyhound adoption groups for about 12 years. Mm -hmm. So we worked at the kennels, did everything from kennel work to fostering, all the fun paperwork and adoption reps, things like that. Then we read an article, can't recall what magazine, about the Galgos. And after reading that, we decided that once we have room in a house again, that we will look at adopting a Galgo. So that's kind of how we learned about it. And when we first adopted Lena, we truly didn't really know about the Galgos. Okay, we knew there was some things going on in Spain about them and there was a need for it, but we truly didn't know what the situation was. So after we adopted Lena and we met another couple, Fred and Caroline Pine, who adopted the other Galgo that came with Lena, who also had a Galgo. So this would be the second one. And talking with them more, they introduced us to uh, Petra Postma, who was from Netherlands, now living in the U.S., and talking with her, you know, she filled us in a lot more of kind of what was going on. So with that, that's when we decided to start the group and went out and visited FBM for the first time in 2014. There was still a lot to learn, and unfortunately in America there was a lot of mixed information because unfortunately Galgo translates in English to Greyhound, and a lot of people were expecting the dog to be just like a greyhound, which they are not. So that's one of the things we still kind of try to fight and make people aware that it is a very different dog and very different circumstances and very different personalities. Yeah, that was the thing I thought about. There are many, many miles or kilometers between the US and Spain. That was no problem for you to adopt a dog and waiting long or knowing the dog will have a long travel or is it good organized i think first started looking at doing this it's we did have definitely concerns about dogs flying because there's unfortunately always horror stories of dogs flying in cargo of the plane and issues with that things like that as we researched that more the airline we use iberia has been very good The nice thing is their cargo hold is temperature controlled. So they mm. get the same circulated air that's in the cabin that they oh, get cool. down there. Out of the 165 dogs we've transported, we've had zero issues. So they've all come out perfectly fine. Obviously, there's a little nervousness with a couple of them. Mm -hmm. But we've had no zero issues with them. So we've okay. been very happy with it. And the flight is about... Eight to nine hours, which isn't too bad. Okay. Because it's same as uh, transporting those dogs from Spain to Germany. 20 hours, I think. Yeah, 20 hours, yes. So it's kind of a shorter trip for them in a sense. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a good information that the air is the same you breathe in the cabin and it's temperature controlled. That are things I was thinking about. It's maybe cold or... It's loud. 
in the transport boxes in the airplane. But as you say, it's right. Um, 20 hours transport on street from Spain to Germany isn't that comfortable. Without a stop, I think it's much more stress or it's even other kind of stress. I think in the normal transport to like Germany, that they have more visuals that they could see. The other dogs, it's, yeah. I don't know how well lit it is in the back or if they have views through the front window or not. But most of the time in the airplane, it's dimly lit. They could see a little bit, but no windows. So they can hear some noise from the engines and some of the shaking, things like that. But I always thought it would be interesting to be able to be down in the cabin in the cargo area just to see what it is like or if I could put a camera in the crate so I could see what it's like and film it that way but like I said it's all of the dogs we've had no issues when we take them out of the crates when we land in Chicago they all get out stretching ready to go to the bathroom so mm -hmm. we've only had one or two that we knew we had to wait till they would have to wait till we actually got home into a very secure spot because we knew they were very fearful. Yeah. As you mentioned, you were the first time at FBM in 2014. Your last visit was now in October after a longer break. How was it to come back to Spain and especially to FBM? It was something I very much needed and it was great to be able to see old friends and see the progress that FBM has been making. With the pandemic, obviously haven't been able to be there for two years. Mm. And then, as I've said before, the idle mind becomes a big issue. So with that time, it's no foster dogs, so no photography of those. Mm -hmm. I needed to give my dogs a break from the photography because they were using them a little too much and starting to become sensitive to it. So it became a spot where I had to stop all of that for a little while. And once again, that created the next issue of the depression and figure out how to get through that. But it was great to be able to get back to Spain to see all of the progress that they've been making and everything they've been doing fighting through the pandemic on their side. Still trying to rescue dogs, get dogs moved out. That's the last thing we wanted to see is, okay, with the pandemic... They can no longer transfer dogs, so they have all these dogs yeah. sitting in the kennel with nowhere to go, and all the other dogs out in the streets can't be rescued. So it was great to see them be able to do that again, but for us to be able to go out and document what's going on for them and kind of bring that back to the people again to say, you know, this is still going on, they still need our help, it was great to be able to do that again. Yeah. The pandemic situation kicks in at the same time or nearly at the same time the hunting season ends. And that doubles the issue, I think. I talked to Marina in this time and heard about how the situation with lockdown in Spain and how is FBM able to keep it going. And yeah, the big problem was that they cannot get any dogs out into adoption and it was full it was more than full at this time and marina told me how they split the staff into groups or teams so if they have a case of corona 
they have not to shut down the whole refugio. So it's a very difficult situation and we all know that FBM needs the volunteers. And I know that this May, I think, it was possible to volunteer again, not before this May. So it just starts in spring 2021 that volunteers can come back and we all know that the pandemic situation now is not getting better, <laughs> it's getting darker again. And we all hope that lockdowns are not to come yet. And that's the whole thing, it's with the pandemic and allowing volunteers again, everyone has to now readjust to the new way of life and how things will work and how many people you could have there, how many volunteers, you know, all the distance between each person. So it creates a lot of different challenges for them. Mm -hmm. But uh, first time being there, staying, it was great to be there again. The guest house wasn't as full, so which was nice too at the same time. But uh, I know I've been there when it was completely packed, which is great to be able to meet everyone from other countries. But at the same time with the pandemic, you're really not sure. And for me, flying to another country that, you know, with the coronavirus, if I have to get a test of COVID before I go home. So if I were to catch COVID, I would be stuck in Spain for another yeah. two weeks. So I had to take my precautions for that also. And that also would affect the dogs flying back with me and mm -hmm. my wife at home with our six dogs. So trying to make sure I'm protected and not infect anyone else. And that's also normally when I fly home, I'll stay at Gisela's house. And it's just like, um, won't do that because... I don't want to unknowingly infect any her or Fanny and all of them because yeah. they do a lot of work at their house for the dogs being transported and medical needs and all of that. So it plays such a big role now of what we do. And that's the hard part is trying to figure all of that out as you go. Yeah, that's correct. It's important to think about and to do the right things to protect all of them. Right. With Gisela, Travis named, is meant Gisela Menat, founder of FBM. She's living in Madrid. What date did you arrive in Spain? I think it was October 20th or 21st. Yeah. And I flew It's... home on Halloween. Yeah, okay. So you arrived there nearly 10 days after we left. Sadly, we missed each other. <laughs> The interesting thing is that you have seen dogs there. I have seen two, so we know some of them, especially uh, Brett or I think Mito, Alpacino, Calisi, Pimienta, yep. <laughs> and many, many more. Please tell me a bit what do you experienced in your time at FBM? I've always told people that Going to FBM is probably the best therapy I get. So just being able to sit in a cage with the dogs and, you know, pet them and let them sniff me and pee on me or whatever, to me that is the best therapy. Because it's, I don't have to worry about anything, just, you know, it soothes me to pet them and I know it helps soothe them also. So it's always interesting when, people do travel to FBM with us, we always tell them that you're going to see some things that are going to be very hard to see and get out of your mind. There's unfortunately a lot of abuse, but 
you need to focus on the positive that they have been rescued they're at fbm and being taken care of they're in the best hands they can be and that's the other thing that i always try to focus on you know you look at brad who's gone through so much but he is still very nervous of people yeah Uh, colossus is kind of the opposite he went through so much but he loves people he'll go up right up to people and say hi and so which is great to see that he did not lose that trust in people so that's what always amazes me about these dogs scott yeah, me too. the other one who is uh still extremely fearful of people yeah. i see him i try to do what i need to give him a little love from a distance but try not to push him and or anything and uh, there was another, I never got the dog's name, it was a black dog that was in the medical ward that would just cower in her bed, or his bed, in the cage, and would not come out, and when I would go in there, I would just kind of have my back to him, just kind of do what I need to do, and he would jump between the beds real quick, and so it's just, seeing those, you kind of, your heart bleeds for them, but you know they're in the best spot right now for them. So it's just the hard part would be finding the forever home that truly understands them and will be able to give them the best home possible. But it's a lot of those stories you see the before and after where you finally get to meet them and, you know, see that progress. And that's what truly feeds the fire for me to kind of keep going with this. Yeah, that's exactly what I experienced there. And it was great to, yeah, as I say... (laughs) to take a bath in Galgos. It's so great to hug them if they want to be hugged. And there are a lot of Galgos that give kisses and enjoy your love just by sitting in the kennel or in the cage and being there and yeah, to give hugs and to touch them if they want. And that's great. Yeah, it's better than any coffee or anything you could have. (laughs) Best way to wake up and Best way to kind of set your day for going forward. To give you an idea what we are talking about, here's a little sequence of the sound of FBM. Hola, do you speak English? No. No. Chip? El chip? Yeah. Ah, yeah, okay. Oh, my God. 
so good these experiences are so hard it was to leave FBM after seven days or your stay was 10 days. It's bittersweet how you wrote in your text, knowing that you will not see most of the dogs again when you come back, maybe a year later. But you know it's the best thing that could happen to them because you know they are staying in their forever home and not at FBM at all. That's great, but I wish that I can follow their way. But that's not possible in the most times. Yeah, and that's, once again, that's kind of where I always tell our adapters to make sure they share photos and share all the good things that the dogs are doing. So it's not only the FBM staff, it's the volunteers that have met that dog at FBM. Most of these dogs have a much bigger family than just their forever home. Yeah. Uh, Cinema is one that we've fostered for about eight months. And she has a huge following, mainly because she loved to watch TV. She was a great model for me in my photos. So everyone loves to see her progress and things she's doing. So her family constantly posts videos and photos of her and kind of tell all the fun stories that she's doing. You know, the fact that she could actually use an iPad, scroll and pick pictures out, yeah. and she'll sit and watch TV for 20 minutes without issue. So it's all those fun little things you catch. And another one that we've kind of just luckily were able to get adopted last weekend is a dog named Dan. So he was in FBM, brought in when he was eight weeks old. And he spent two years at FBM. Hmm. And those are the stories that we hate to see the most is we go there one year, we see him, and we come back the next year, and he's still there. Yeah. And one of the hardest things we try to tell people is everyone wants the dog now that is on the current story, that this dog was rescued this year and you know had this major story, but... Everyone focuses on that dog. All the other dogs in the kennel have that exact same story, but mm. they've healed from that. Mm. But they tend to get looked over, and that's the sad part of it. So Dan, we met him. Great dog. He is a Galgo mix. I saw a post that he was still there after two years, so we decided, you know what, let's just bring him over and give him a shot here because we need to get him out of that kennel, get him into a home. We fostered him for about three months and moved him into another foster home mm -hmm. to where they had no other dogs or kids because that's kind of what he needed. Mm -hmm. And he was finally adopted last weekend to a great couple. So it's those stories that it's a longer term, but it means so much more that this dog has been waiting that long for that chance. Those are the ones we truly love to share. And a lot of people at FBM know Dan and know his story and have been fighting for him and trying to get him his home. So we're so happy that he's finally in his home for Thanksgiving, for America, and for Christmas, that he'll finally get to experience his first Christmas at home. Yeah, I saw your posts about Dan, and it's great. And it's all these dogs you meet again if you come back one year later, and it's, uh, oh no, why? 
I think it's very important to push these dogs especially. Yeah, and that's great. You did a great work. Yeah, the hard part with those, a lot of them, it's, yeah, a couple dogs that just are unseen because of the current rescues going on and so forth. Then you have the extremely fearful dogs that it's trying to find the right family for those that can dedicate that time and, you know, the home and sacrifice the things that the dog needs to be able to recuperate. And those are the hard ones to be able to place. Because there's so few homes that can deal with that. So those are where I give a lot of credit to Roberto for trying to work with those. The hard part is with 500 dogs, it's very hard for him to be able to work with all of them. So it's just love to have more people that have that experience to be able to go out and help or consider adopting one of them to kind of give them that chance. You know, we've got quite a few awesome stories of dogs like that that are living fantastic lives now. You know, um, Atencia is one that we had a group of trainers go to FBM to help Alberto with that exact situation. And three of those trainers have now adopted Galgos. So one of them was Hortensia, who was a extremely fearful Galgo that we fostered for a couple weeks, but we found that our home was not the best place for her because Mm. she was so fearful of me being a man. Mm. We did not want her to injure herself. So... She ended up going to her home who, with Luann, who is a trainer. And it took two years for Hortensia to actually be able to go outside. Oh. Luckily, Luann was able to set her house up to where, if needed, Hortensia could go to the bathroom inside on pee pads and so forth. But through this progress of two years, she was now able to go outside, play, and so forth. And I finally got to go visit her during the summer, and actually Hortensia came up to me and allowed me to pet her, and I was able to kind of interact with her. So that was a two-year time frame of dedicating that time for her, which changed that life for that dog, made the dog so much happier and more relaxed that now someone who she was afraid of could actually go visit and pet her, which was amazing to see. It shows how long the way can be. But it's all worth it to go this way if you can. And if you cannot, it's very important to see this clear. Because if you say, bring the dog to me, and then you realize, oh, it's too much. I cannot do this work. I have not the time. And so for the dog, it's not good because they have to change and to change and to change again. And that's not good. The biggest thing that dog doesn't need a hug yeah it needs a home that understands it yeah that's right one of the best quotes i use a lot is i'm not telling you it's going to be easy i'm telling you it's going to be worth it yeah absolutely (laughs) alberto is doing a great work and during our stay he allowed us to or he invited us to work with two fearful dogs. It's Cronimus and Cortita. Okay. And we worked with them, just put them out of the kennel and go for walks in the secured area outside the big hall. 
and they relaxed much. And Cortita is a very hard case. And Cornimus, I think, is now in a foster home in Germany. Okay. So that took not too much time. Um, but Cotita is still staying at FBM and I think she is for four years now there. And Alberto is now working harder with her to get her prepared to go to the right foster home. Right. That's always the hardest part too is, you know, it's one to get the dog to a home, that home that understands, but that transport is the, also the biggest hurdle. Yeah to get the dog to be able to be in that transport regardless of where it's going for that time frame and you know getting them to that point takes a long time yeah and it's a lot of work and not even every member of the staff can do this kind of work right i think you need to be a trainer and have uh, your experiences with that dogs and we know it's important to find quick Uh, foster home but we know it's hard for the dogs to stay too long in the big hall i think the loudness and all the dogs barking and the stress level is so high it's more than one step forward and two steps back if they stay too long at fbm right with the shelters either you could focus on a small group of dogs or rescue as many as you can but there's catch-22 on either side of that so when you have the large shelter there's so many more issues that you got to deal with such as that the great hall as you walk a dog down the middle yeah dogs on both sides now barking and that's where i've always made a point to always go on the outside to take the dog so you only have one side of barking yeah yeah so it's you know being able to kind of see that and once again see the dog how they're reacting to it. It's all those little things of how to work with the dog when you take them out and walk them. And that's, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. The hardest part doing this uh, for the volunteers is a lot of them will just kind of go take dogs out and walk them. But it's the other side of making the most amount of the best use of that time while you're walking them or out with them. So to where they could start building that bond and trust and how to bring the dogs back into those kennels when you know it's going to be hectic for them. So get them in there quickly, relax, and, you know, let them de-stress for that time. So that's where I don't envy Alberto for that. He's got his hands full of trying to control all of that and keep that under control. The staff is phenomenal, but still it's keeping that mindset for that staff the same way too yeah yeah let's do a little step outside of fbm to see the whole picture so you are in the galgo scene for nearly 10 years now do you see any changes in the last years did the situation of the galgos improved unfortunately it's a little harder one that i found with the pandemic and a lot of those things that I kind of feel like I have more of an outsider again. Mm-hmm. So I'm not seeing as much as I want to into what's going on with the Galgos. So I unfortunately end up relying on other people to kind of help tell me that, what's going on. But what I've seen in the shelter and everything, 
I still unfortunately have not seen much improvement at all on mm. it. It's nice that the Galgaleros are now tend to drop the Galgos off at FBM a little more. Yeah. Instead of Alberto having to rescue them or Antonio when I was first there having to go get them from the Pereiras all the time. So I do see progress that way. And with that, what I would love to see in Spain with all these shelters is actually getting a true count of these dogs. You know, which ones are coming in from hunters, have been hunting, which ones were pets and just returned, so we could actually get true numbers of all of this. But like anything, even here in the U.S., trying to get all the shelters to work together to be able to provide that, that will be a very hard thing to do, but... I think that would shed a lot of light on the situation for Spain and everyone in the world. I'm in the Galgo scene for three years now, not so long, but I talked to many people and I heard that the situation minimal improved. But the important thing is to teach the children and the younger generations to show them what great creatures galgos are that they are feeling that they have emotions wonderful pets and that the change comes from the youth and i think you will not change the mind of a galgero often they are old or mid 50 or something so you will not change this man but what you can change by teaching and raising awareness is and that's a thing we can also do from outside of Spain is to teach the children. Right. And that's kind of the other side too, is where I, I think it was three or four years ago that the Federation of Galgaleros had a event where they had families come in so they could teach the kids about being a Galgalero and they had a dismal turnout. So realize that the kids do not want to be standing in a field for six hours trying to find a rabbit for the dog to chase. They'd much rather be playing games or hanging out with their friends. Yeah. yeah. So that is very promising in itself, that the kids just really have no interest in it. That's great about video games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's a long way. It's a long, long way. And that's the hard thing learning too. It's, you know, with the EU... Animal rights and those laws are pushed nationally, so the EU really cannot obligate Spain to enforce or create more laws to protect dogs. So the pressure truly needs to come from the inside. Yeah, of course. That's what I've been seeing with the manifestations of protests is that they keep getting bigger and bigger, which is great. And that's what is needed is more people in the cities who have no idea that this is going on in their country, that they start learning about it and speaking up and saying, this is not right anymore. This is where 21st century animal abuse in this world is not accepted. You know, bullfighting and all the other festivals that they end up killing animals in is not acceptable. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What would you say, how is your work received? What reactions or feedback do you get? And is there something coming from Europe and Spain especially? Do you feel your work for the Galgos is known in Spain too? It's been interesting the past year or two that 
I'm now truly starting to see my goals kind of manifest what I was trying to do with this. Going back to 2014 when I bought my first camera, I had alternative motives with this. So when I bought the camera, my true goal was I'm going to fake being a pet photographer so I could try to get other pet photographers to take photos of Galgos. Because mm-hmm. at that time, I thought there's no way I could just learn how to be a good pet photographer and be able to make a change. It's kind of like when a dog gets lost, the first thing you should do is always get flyers with pictures of the dogs out as many places as you can because the more eyes searching for the dog, the easier it is to find them. Yeah. So my thought process was if I could get other pet photographers to take photos of the dogs and share the story with their followers, that reaches who are also animal lovers, that spreads out the story of the Galgos much faster and a much broader reach. So what I've been seeing lately now, which is great, is more photographers doing the photos of Galgos, sharing the stories, and reaching a lot more people. And I've also seen quite a few things of when I do uh, print competitions. I got into it to learn more photography, but once again to reach more photographers. And during one of the judging, I actually heard one of the judges talk about the dog about being you know trying to figure out one what the dog was and one of the other judges said oh it's a dog from spain and to me that blew my mind that okay it's actually starting to slowly work that people are understanding and seeing these dogs and that's what's been phenomenal for me and i've been seeing more reach with the images and so forth to be able to kind of get that word out the people that I would have never been able to talk to before or share the story with. And that has been my entire goal with this, is to get a much broader reach and hopefully get more creative people to use their skills to help the Galgos and share that story. And I've been seeing that happen a lot more, which is phenomenal. Yeah, that's a great thing. And I think you have a big influence on that. So your work is, as I say before, but I have to say it again, is very inspiring. And to let tell one picture, and that's the difficulty, I think, to tell with one picture a whole story. And that's the hard part. It's being able to tell that story that people are able to understand or grasp. But trying to think of the best way to explain this. You have to have that passion and desire in you for that photo because that's what the photo is going to say. If you don't have that in you, then the photo is not going to say that also. You can't give something that you do not have. So that's been, for me, it's one of the best lessons or tips that someone gave me was shoot what you're passionate about and it will show through in your images. And... When I was studying photography, I was shooting and photographing a bunch of different things. And then it clicked that, yes, it's just 100% on the Galgos. And it's something I understand. I understand the dogs. I understand the story. So that allows me to show that better in the images. When I 
know all the minute details of what's going on that I could pinpoint those within the photos also. So it's knowing what you want that image to say, knowing that situation, and having the passion and desire in you to be able to sit there and spend two hours waiting for that photo or something to be able to catch that. And that's what all truly shows through. Yeah, that's right. And the other side is you can sit there and try to plan your shot out as much as you want, but you also have to be open to let the image just speak to you because you may get something completely different than you were expecting that speaks much more to you. And it's just catching those little moments. It's like there's one recent photos. can't remember the little dog's name that was in the medical ward. As I'm walking by, I just happened to catch her carrying a little leaf and running to her bed. Ah, pimienta. Yeah, pimienta and just snap that picture real quick of her just carrying that leaf gently in her mouth. Yeah. You know, it's just being open to catching that and just stopping and grabbing that photo real quick is, you know, that's the other side of it. It's just being open and seeing your environment. Yeah, and especially with the Galgos, they are fast in the things they do, in all things they do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to, to be open, go through the world with open eyes and be open for the things that happen. Opening my mind is, it allowed me to see things better and enjoy it, instead of just narrow-minded of the blinders of looking forward that enjoy life, enjoy nature. Yeah, exactly. That's the one thing I've always asked people that going to FBM the first time is, you know, write down or think about what they're expecting to see, not being there yet, then when they leave to write down what their thoughts were and kind of compare those two. Yeah. Get an understanding of kind of their views on how things went and what they thought of it. So, but definitely sound, that's one thing I found is when people go there, it is, I would say, very short of a life-changing moment, but mm -hmm. it is a very big revelation of seeing the dogs the way they are and knowing what they've been through, but they still want that attention and love. Yeah, and it's very important to be there and to see what's happening and to understand. What I've loved about FBM is they're willing to show you as much as you want to see. Absolutely. If you just want to, you know, walk the dogs, bathe them, yeah. then you can do that. If you want to help in the vet clinic, you can. If you want to go on rescues and see that, they'll let you do that. I was fortunate enough to see the much darker side of it also working with Bascalgo that I went on several rescues with them into one of the very biggest hunting towns, Felincelita. Mm -hmm. And where we did find a bunch of dead Galgos in bags in the trash area and Galgos in dead in abandoned wells and see that true side of it, the dark side of that. You know, the like Alberto and all the staff, they see that daily. Yeah. And it's that's, once again, going back to sharing those adoption photos. You need to give them some light inside their darkness to show that what they're doing matters. And I have nothing but praise and absolute respect for what they do 
of dealing with it daily. And I'm on the outside, you know, go out there for a week or two to take photos, but I truly don't get to see what they see. And that's, that is still kind of the hard part, but it's trying to convey that to people that you have to kind of see the dark side to understand how fortunate these dogs are and, you know, the true blessing that they're in these homes now. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes so clear what hard work the staff is doing day by day by day. Yes. And it's just a little snippet the week we stay there. We get an idea of what is going on. Right. But being in there day by day and the starting hunting season and the end of the hunting season, it, it's, yeah, as you say, dark, their own darkness. Yep. Okay, Travis, that's it. Thank you very much for your time and we stay in contact. Perfect. So once again, thank you very much for inviting me to do this. I had a great time. It was a great conversation with you. Greatly great. appreciate it. Thank you very much too, and I appreciate it too. So have a good day. You do the same. Thank you. And bye-bye. Bye. Our stay at FBM lasts from October 3rd to October 10th, 2021. It was an intensive time and leaving was not easy. I will return for sure and I hope my wife can join me next time. Do you want to help saving Galgos in Spain? By caring for more than 600 dogs, fighting with hot conditions during the hunting season and the pandemic on top, FBM needs support more than ever. If you can, feel free to donate. Have a look at the show notes to find account details. And feel free to leave a comment at the episode's post on Instagram. Search for galgo.fm. On Instagram you will also find Jaspers Abenteuer. That's the spot where my wife Anja shows the steering life of our Galgo Jasper. And you can send me an email if you have any questions about the podcast, Galgos or my interview partners. The address is podcast at greeton.de. You'll find it in the show notes too. Thanks for listening and hear you next time. You know, people are connecting with my images so much, but it's that I'm still see myself as the beginning photographer. I look at so many images and see people, what they're doing is just like, I'm in awe of that. So I don't consider any of my images as the best or anything. It's just, I'm amazed by what people are doing and photographing and capturing those moments and sharing it. And that's what I absolutely love to see. Your images, show them and get them out there because that's how their stories are told. Oh.